You're listening to New Life Church in Richmond Hill, Georgia. Whatever distractions, whatever things have consumed us, I pray God would be focused upon you this morning and what you want to do and what you want to say to us. In Jesus' name we pray these things. Amen. 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 You may be seated. It's good to see you this morning, guys. Um, we have been in a series called Unlikely Heroes. Uh, we'll finish this up next week on Superhero Sunday. Uh, kind of fits. And so uh, we're going to continue on this morning. And if you've got your Bible, we're going to go to the book of Philemon. Um, and uh, we're going to read the entire book of Philemon. Um, and that is not a joke because Philemon is short. It's only 25 verses. So there you go. And if you're looking for Philemon, you can go uh, to Titus and turn right. Or if you hit Hebrews, go left. Right? No left. Um, so there was a story that I was looking at earlier. And uh, there's a story about an African tribe that employs a ritual called the drowning man. And what happens is, as the story goes, that if there's a murder in the tribe that uh, a year will go by that the tribe will mourn for the murder that happened. And on the anniversary, year anniversary of the murder, they will throw a party. They will then take the murderer, they will put the murderer on a boat, bind up the murderer, and throw them in the water. Now, the family of the person who has been murdered has a choice. They're standing on the shore, and they have a choice. They can either swim out and rescue the person, or they can let them drown. If they let them drown, what they're basically saying is justice has been served. But if they do that, the belief is that they will mourn forever. But they have another choice. They can swim out and save the man, bring him back. And although it may say to them, hey, listen, life is not fair. Life is unfair. We believe that our sorrow can be transformed in this act of salvation and rescue. And I thought it was, it was such a story that just kind of blew my mind. I was like, I've, I've never heard of this before. But I began to think of times that maybe I have been, um, you know, hurt by people or times that I've been wrong. Have you ever been wronged? <laughs> right, okay, right, right. And I, I, <laughs> I told somebody earlier, I said, you know, just wait. If you haven't been wronged, uh, <laughs> you just keep going. Somebody is going to wrong you, Right. I mean, so if, at some point in life, um, somebody's done something to you. At some, some point in life, somebody said something to you. At some point in life, somebody is going to say something or do something to you. And, and maybe you've been there where you've wanted them to get what they deserve. Right? Maybe you felt this after they've done whatever they've done to you. You're just like, you know what? It's going to come back around. It's going to come back around. You're going to get what you deserve. 
Maybe you felt like that. You've kind of felt the reality and, and just, just sensed that you want them to get what they, they've got coming to them, right? Uh, that's, that's that feeling. And, and I've been there. Today, the story that I want us to look at really deals with these topics and, and deals with these sentiments. Um, and it's the book of Philemon. And, and maybe you've never really uh, looked at the book of Philemon. It's a very short book. It's actually a personal letter. It's not really a book. It's a short letter that uh, Paul wrote to a friend. And it gets included with the letter to Colossians, to the church at, at Colossa. And this, this letter to the uh, church uh, at Colossae, it, uh, it's, it's a little bit more broad. That letter is it, it, in the end of it. If you go read in the book of Colossians, it'll say, hey, distribute this letter. After you read it in Colossae, send it to Laodicea and let that church read it too. And so that's how the letters uh, actually got passed around. But this letter is not written to a church. It's written to a person. And we're going to see uh, these characters in here, how the relational aspect plays out. Now, it's, it's said that Paul writes this letter from a Roman prison. And this part of uh, his prison was called the prison epistles, uh, that, that Paul writes a series of letters uh, during his stay in, in, a very, in a couple different prisons. Um, and so the, the question is, did he write this one in Ephesus or did he write this one in a Roman prison? Um, I believe that it was possibly a Roman prison. Um, but let's go ahead and, and turn to Philemon. Philemon chapter 1. And it says, Paul, a prisoner of Jesus Christ, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our beloved fellow worker, and Aphia, our sister, Archippus, our fellow soldier, and church in your house. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So Philemon is a wealthy man because he has a house large enough to hold a church in it. Um, he's, he's wealthy enough that he can host this congregation, and he is a friend of Paul's. As you kind of see here in this personal letter Paul is writing to him, he calls him a beloved brother and this, this uh, worker. He goes on, he says this in verse 4, he says, I thank God always when I remember you in my prayers because I hear of your love and of the faith that you have toward the Lord Jesus and all the saints. And I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. For I have derived much joy and comfort from your love, my brother, because the heart of the saints have been refreshed through you. He calls him brother. This, this idea that there's this sharing that is happening here. He goes on, verse 6, or I'm sorry, verse 8. And he says, accordingly though, I am bold enough in Christ to command you to do what is required. Yet for love's sake, I prefer to appeal to you. I, Paul, an old man now, a prisoner also for Christ Jesus. I appeal to you for my child Onesimus. Now, there's a name for you. Do you know anybody named Onesimus? That's not really a common name, is it? So if you're looking for a baby name, this is a good name to name your child. They'll stand out. They'll be unique. Onesimus. So I appeal to you for my child Onesimus. Now you think, well, does Paul have a kid? Is this Paul's son? Um, this is not Paul's biological son, but he's got a relationship with Onesimus now that he's, he's like a son to him. And he goes on, and can you kind of bear that out in the next few lines. It says, I appeal to you for my child Onesimus, 
whose father I became in my imprisonment. While I was here in prison, uh, I was able to start this relationship and have this relationship with Onesimus um, and, and just come to know him as almost a father-son relationship. Formerly, he was useless to you. To you. Now, I always love what names mean. I, I like finding out what stuff means, what names mean. Um, Onesimus, his name means useful. Right, so I want you to see that. It's kind of a play on words here. It's what Paul is doing. He's using the language to kind of say something, and he's saying, hey, uh, Onesimus, uh, he was useless to you, uh, but now he is indeed useful to you and to me. You see that because it says this is play on, on his name. Now, Philemon, his name, it means loving or means comfort. Uh, if you've ever heard of the Greek uh, word for love, phileo, phileo, or uh, anybody ever been to Philadelphia? Philadelphia? Philadelphia is called the what? City of brotherly love, right? That, there you go. Phileo is, is love. And so you, you kind of see that in, in the name of Philadelphia. But in this case, you kind of see that in Philemon's name, too, is this, this loving that is supposed to be there. But Paul begins to address some things here. He says, listen, this guy Onesimus, uh, he was useless to you before. Now he has become useful to both you and me. In verse 12, he says, I'm sending him back to you, sending my very heart. Uh, this word heart is the word spalachnon. Uh, it is what what we kind of feel in the deep seat of our emotions. Kind of if you've ever had some news given to you and you felt like you've been punched in the gut, that's, that's it. That's kind of that feeling of where the deepest part of your emotions reside. And this is what Paul is saying. He said, I am sending him back to you, and I am sending back the deepest part of my emotions with him. I would have been glad to keep him with me in order that he might serve me on your behalf during my imprisonment for the gospel. Now, some of you don't know this, but if you're in a Roman prison, they don't feed you three square meals a day. If you've been part of our prison epistles study, you probably know this, but uh, many of you are not, so uh, it's not like that the guards are bringing you food. If you have anything, it's only because someone brings it to you from outside. If you have uh, food, if you have clothing, if you have a cloak, and you'll see Paul write this in his letters, he'll ask for things. He'll say, listen, send my cloak because I don't have anything. Thing. They're not giving me a, a, a cot or a mat or anything like that. So if I have anything, it's because people come and, and do something for me. And so he's saying, listen, in order that he might serve me on your behalf during my imprisonment for the gospel, but I prefer to do nothing without your consent in order that your goodness might not be by compulsion, but by your own free will. For this perhaps is why he was parted from you for a little while, that you might have him back forever. No longer a slave. Oh, so there we go. Who is Onesimus to Philemon? He's a slave. He's property. He is, he is basically a, a person without rights in that society. And Philemon owns those rights and uh, Onesimus is his slave, is his servant. And you say, well, that's kind of weird because isn't Philemon got a church in his house, and this is kind of an awkward letter, isn't it? 
Yes, it's very much an awkward letter. I think when Paul was having to write this letter, he was trying to figure out, now how am I going to say this, right? Uh, and, and to us, when we think about slavery, it's appalling. Uh, we've seen the tragic history uh, that even our own country has had play out with say, slavery. And so when we see it, we are appalled by it. And so how could, how, could this, how could this be part of that time? But it was very much part of that time. It was very much part of that time. And somebody um, uh, described it like this. It said that slavery in the Roman Empire was so much a part of the fabric of society as what electricity is to us today. That's how much it was. And, and so Paul is having to figure out how to say things to address issues. And so he goes on, and he says, I want you to have him back, no longer a slave, but more than a slave, as a beloved brother, especially to me, and how much more to you, both in flesh and in the Lord. So if you consider me your partner, is the word koinonia, if you've ever heard that word, it is a mutual sharing. If you consider me a partner, somebody who is in, in, in this relationship of mutual sharing, receive him as you would me. If he has wronged you at all or owes you anything, charge it to my account. I, Paul, write this with my own hand. I will repay it to say nothing of you owing me your own self. Do you see what he did there? So in the relationship, it's, it's almost like we don't get the backstory of everything that's going on. We kind of have to read between the lines. But even Paul saying, listen, if Onesimus owes you anything, charge it to me. It, I, I will make sure that if there's anything stolen, anything that is missing, I will take care of it. Are my eyes going dark? Okay. <laughs> I was about to say, this is bad, guys. Uh, so... Um, <laughs> <laughs> messing with me right there. You guys in the booth are messing. But, but he's, he, he's got, he says, listen, if he's done anything, he says, charge it to me. Charge it to me. And he says, listen, Philemon, you owe me. If, we, if we're having a conversation, he says, you really owe me your own very soul. Because how did Philemon come to know Jesus? Because Paul introduced him to Jesus. How did Onesimus come to know Jesus? Because Paul introduced him to Jesus. See, Onesimus is a runaway slave. It's some, somehow, some way, he ran away from Philemon. For whatever reason, we don't know, but it was enough for him to go on the run. And there must have been something that happened, whether he stole from Philemon to uh, fund his escape in some way. And, and he, he makes it to Rome, that Onesimus makes it to Rome, and he's trying to figure out, how do I put my life back together? How do I pick up the pieces of my life and figure out what this is going to look like? And he's kind of lost in a sense. And he finds this guy, Paul. How that happens, I don't know. He finds this guy, Paul, by God's providence. And Paul brings him uh, basically under his wing. Even in prison, Paul is able to lead him to Jesus to introduce, introduce him to Christ. And he has this life-changing experience. And now what Paul's got to do is he's got to figure out how do I help repair this relationship between Onesimus and Philemon because Paul kind of stands in the middle. Anybody ever been in the middle and you didn't want to be there? You know, you're trying to figure out how to navigate these waters. That's Paul. And he's trying to figure out how to bring these two guys back together. And so 
sometimes what we find is this, is we run away from things. Anybody ever wanted to run away from something? I mean, I, 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 you know, you think about just having stress and having pressures, and it's just like, man, I just I don't want to do this anymore. I don't want to I don't want to go to work anymore, or I, maybe I don't want to go back to to that place anymore. Or I, you know, you just think I just I just kind of want to run away. I just want to run away. The thing about runaways, you got to understand, is this: running away from your problems only increases the distance from your solution. Running away from your problems will only increase the distance from your solution. And so the answer is not to run away. And this is what Paul is getting Onesimus to figure out. This is what he's trying to get him to understand is the idea is not for you to run away, Onesimus. You've got to go back. You've got to go back and you've got to face Philemon. And, and honestly, I don't even know who the hero is in this story. There's a hero here. Um, but, but I can't figure out who the hero is because uh, it, it is a difficult situation that um, Paul is having to figure. If, if Onesimus goes back, do you know what they do to runaway slaves? In the Roman Empire, they would take a runaway slave and they would brand an F on their forehead for the word fugitive. Or they would take an iron collar and they would rivet it around his neck and so it would say something like, I am the property of so-and-so, and I must be returned there. It, and, that's, and that's the good part. If you lived through it. And so now, Paul's saying, Onesimus, to make this complete, you got to go back. And so he says, but I'm not going to send you back empty-handed. I'm going to send you with a letter, and I'm going to ask Philemon to do what I know he can do, forgive you. See, forgiveness is difficult, isn't it? If you've ever been called to forgive because somebody's hurt you, it's difficult. If you've ever been wrong in, in any way, you know how difficult forgiving someone is because you say, no, they need, to, they need to get what's coming to them, right? If I let them off the hook, I've lost. Actually, when you live that way, everybody loses. You never win. Nobody ever wins with that kind of thought pattern. So forgiveness is difficult. Forgiveness is not an entitlement to default on debts either. That's not what this is. Someone always has to pay the bill. And just know this, if there's a debt, someone always pays the bill. Maybe it's not you. When you start looking at what we owe in our life, I start looking at my life with Jesus I owe Jesus so much. He paid a debt that I owed. He didn't know that debt. I couldn't pay it, but he paid that for me. And so that's kind of what Paul's getting at in his letter. He's saying, listen, he's Philemon, there's a debt that we owed, and you couldn't pay it either. And so I'm asking you to do. And I'm not, he's like, I could demand this of you, and I could make you do it. He's like, but that's not how I'm going to do this. I'm just asking you to do I'm making a request of you to do what you need to do. And so you look at this story and you think, what, is, what in the world? The last thing I wrote here is God has a way of using the worst things done to you to bring about the best out of you. That's what God can do. He can take the broken pieces of your life and of your story, and he can bring about the best out of it. Somehow, in some way, we don't know 
what this looks like. And it's like, I don't know how this goes back together, but God, I'm going to put it in your hands. God, I'm going to let you do this. God, I'm going to let you bring this together because I can't figure it out. But God's really good with that stuff. I want to ask somebody to come play. There's a story I heard of a king who, he commissioned this artist, this craftsman, to make a mirror, this huge mirror for his palace. And the craftsman worked on it for months and months, and, and uh, the king would send emissaries to go see the craftsman and say, is it done yet? And he said, just give me a little more time, king. I, I'm still working on this. And so it took a long time for this mirror to be finished, but finally it was finished. And they were bringing the mirror into the palace, and the workers dropped it. And it went into a million pieces. And the king was distraught. He didn't know. He's like, I've waited for this gift for so long. I've waited for this thing for months and months on end. And now you have destroyed this most beautiful thing that this artist has crafted. And he said, just sweep up the pieces and throw it away. I don't want it anymore. And the craftsman said, king, don't do that. He said, give me the broken pieces. And the artist took the broken pieces and he began to put them together and actually created this beautiful mosaic that refracted light all over. And it actually was more beautiful in the end than what it was before. Because that's what happens when the master, the master craftsman takes the pieces of our life and he puts it back together to create something beautiful. See, this guy Onesimus is on the run and his life is shattered and he's, he's a fugitive and he's scared and he's like, I don't know how to pick up the pieces of my life. And Paul says, it starts with a man named Jesus. It starts with Jesus. He says, let Jesus pick up the pieces of your life and put it back together. And see, now, we don't know exactly. We don't have like a, a, a part B letter to Philemon. We don't know like, hey, this happened later on. We do know this from church tradition, that Onesimus becomes the bishop of the church at Ephesus. Think about that. The guy who was a runaway slave, something must have happened after this letter came to Philemon to where Philemon says, you know what, Paul's right. There is a debt that I couldn't pay, and Jesus paid it. Jesus paid that debt for me. I release you, and I don't bring you back as a slave. I bring you back as family. I don't just give you your freedom. I'm giving you a family. And so we begin to see th just, just glimpses of what God does with broken pieces. Not only does church tradition say that Onesimus becomes the bishop of the church in Ephesus, it says that Philemon also goes on to become the bishop of the church in Colossae. And both we see God is working in the restoration of relationships. Now listen to me. Maybe you're here this morning and you say, Pastor, you don't know my story. You don't know how I've been hurt. You don't know what they've done to me. You don't know what I'm carrying around. You don't know the scars. You don't know the hurt. You don't know the pain. You don't know the stuff that I lived through. I don't. I really don't. But Jesus does. 
Jesus has seen your story from the very beginning. From the very first breath that you drew, he was there. And you know what? He's with you right now. And so whether your story right now, it looks like a, a, a beautiful thing or broken pieces, I'm asking you to give your story to Jesus this morning. I'm asking you this morning to put your faith and to put your story in Jesus' hands. To put the broken pieces maybe of your life, maybe this, this unforgiveness that you are just, mm, how can I forgive them? You know what? Maybe that's not you. Maybe you're on the other side. Maybe you're the one that hurt someone. Maybe you're the one that created the damage. Maybe you're the one that broke the mirror. And you shattered the lives. What does that look like? Jesus works that way too. He works on both sides. See, because I believe that it takes courage for Onesimus to go back. And I believe that it takes courage for Philemon to take him back. So whichever side that you're on, Jesus does a work that includes you. So heads bowed this morning. What's God speaking to you? Somebody right now, the Holy Spirit is speaking to you, and, and there's, there's things that you've been carrying around, you've been harboring, and it's just it's difficult. And you say, i got to let this go, and you've tried to let it go, and you've tried to let it go. It's like you keep picking it back up. This morning, I want you to release that into the hands of Christ. This morning, I want you to let that go. These broken pieces, I want you to just visualize taking all these broken pieces of your life and just putting them in Jesus' hands. And I want you to pray a prayer with me this morning of surrender. Whether you're the runaway with the broken life and you need to be forgiven, or whether you're the one holding the bag having a difficult time trying to forgive. Lord, I'm asking you right now to just meet us here. Because I feel there's someone right now they're holding on. They're holding on to things. They're holding on to a past. They're holding on hoping that they can win some kind of power struggle and they're losing. They're losing themselves they're losing relationships. So, Lord, this morning I'm praying that we can be a people that will stop the fight, stop the struggle. If we've been running, we stop running. If we've been holding on to bitterness, we, we stop holding on to the things that are killing us. And this morning we release it into your hands. Lord, we release the broken pieces of our life into your hands. You are the master crafter. You are the artist that picks us up and you make something beautiful. So make something beautiful of our life, please. Dear God, please make something beautiful of the mess that we have made. The choices and the decisions that have created destruction and damage, forgive us. Forgive us, Lord, for going our own way. Forgive us for doing our own thing. Forgive us for lashing out. Forgive us for manipulation. God, this morning I'm praying you would put us back together. Make us whole. 
Restore our relationships as it should be. Let us be able to love as we should. I pray this in Jesus' name. Will you guys stand with us? We sang this earlier, but the words just go right along with what Ryan was sharing. So just You've been listening to New Life Church in Richmond Hill, Georgia. For more information regarding New Life, please visit our website at newliferh.com.